Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, and welcome to Leechfest, a medical history podcast where we let the mycelium go to our heads. Because today, we're talking about magic mushrooms. Mm, psychedelic music, twang, 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 twang. Uh, <laughs> I can actually insert some psychedelic music here if you want. No, I like my rendition. Okay. <laughs> twang, twang, twang. You may have heard of magic mushrooms before, the ones that cause psychedelic experiences, hallucinations, and a disconnect from space and time. And today, we're going to eat them. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Because we're going to talk about their very long history, and about how these fun little guys uh, are still changing the world of medicine today. Also, I'm going to talk a bit about how they work. I'm not going to go super into detail, but I'm just going to talk about like the active component and the kind of receptors that it interacts with. And I'm also going to talk about the, um, the experiences that people get when yeah. they take mushrooms. Uh, which was quite interesting to read about, and I hope um, I hope it's gonna be uh, interesting for people to hear about. I'm, I I bet it will. Before we jump in, though, I want to uh, say a legal disclaimer: yep. that this podcast does not endorse the use of illegal substances. Don't do drugs, kids. Before we get into the magic of fungi, how have you been since last time we casted this pod? <laughs> Um, I've been okay. I don't think super much has happened since we last recorded. Uh, you know, I go to school, I do my work. You go to school, you do your work. I go to the gym. It is also but, November when we do this and there's like nothing to do. Yeah. Because it's both cold, but it's not the holiday season yet. So it's this weird gray area when mm-hmm. nothing is possible. Where you can't uh, go outside or go anywhere. Oh, mm-hmm. they're introducing a, a mandatory COVID vaccine passport to get into cinemas here, which I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. It's the yeah, first time so I have to think about getting one. I know. Not yeah. the vaccine, I have that, but I need like a passport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's super interesting because like Sweden has been very lax about uh, COVID regulations. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. Like it kind of like, came out of nowhere. Uh, I, I didn't expect it at I all. I honestly think it may be the cinema who did it. Like, yeah. not the government. The cinema's just like, we want to have movies, but we need to be safe. So let's just have, no. let's just stock them full and then they can have that. No, I think it comes from uh, Folk Health and Mindy Oh. Uh, because I, somebody was, um, I, I saw something about it and somebody was asking if people who cannot get the vaccine for medical reasons will be able to go. And apparently on the um, Folk Health and Mindy that's the um, Swedish uh, public health agency, apparently on the site it says that those people will be counted as having had the vaccine oh. so they're letting them to they're letting them go to the cinema that's interesting um but yeah i thought that was super super interesting and like really unexpected mm, yeah other than uh, that exciting news um i'm actually gonna do a crispr experiment in school which is very exciting i'm you're, gonna do you're gonna create mutants Every time I mention CRISPR, you have to talk about mutants and Frankenstein. Yeah. No, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use CRISPR to increase uh, protein production in a, in a in like cells. A little far from creating mutants, but it's still very interesting and uh, exciting. That's fun. I'm excited to do that. I've never done CRISPR before, so that's exciting. Sounds, that's fun, yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah. good stuff. Good stuff. How have you been? I've been good. I'm doing a video. I'm doing a video on drugs. Which is why, partially, we're doing this episode as well, because it's yeah. on my mind. I have drugs on my mind, not literally. Um, I feel like every single time we record an episode, I ask you what you're doing, how you're doing, you're like, I'm, I'm recording a video. I'm recording a video. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing that you're doing. Yeah. Like, we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to my work. Yeah. I'm, we're I'm doing my job. Working gals. We're unfortunately in this. Uh, we're unfortunately still obligated to pay rent yeah. in this uh, economy. <laughs> Uh, the podcast is, uh, as of this time, not fully paying our bills. <laughs> we still have to do other shit. We still have to have a day job. Yeah. But it's fun to do the podcast still. Yeah, no, no, for sure. No, but I've been doing that and I've been, yeah, I've been, I've been working. I haven't been doing much of anything. Hmm. I've not been taking mag- magic mushrooms. Hmm. I promise. I promise it's I It's kind of weird that you have to mention that. I specifically <laughs> have not taken magic mushrooms. All right. I haven't taken magic mushrooms. Okay. <laughs> I haven't taken magic mushrooms. I haven't taken magic mushrooms. 
Um, all right. Uh, before we get into the episode, we wanted to thank all of our patrons for supporting our podcast. Uh, but specifically, this episode, we have one very special patron to say thank you to. And that patron is Alex isn't here. Well, where are they then? We don't know. They're not here. So where are they? Are they outside? <laughs> are they, are they to, hiding? They're coming to get us. Yeah. But yes, we want to thank all of our patrons. And if you want to have a chance for a shout out, go support our Patreon. And uh, you too can be part of an episode. So when talking about this, what are magic mushrooms? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Um, so psilocybin mushrooms, which are also known as magic mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, and shrooms, are a family of psychoactive fungi that contain psilocybin, which is a psychedelic substance of the tryptamine class. These mushrooms occur on all continents, and there are more than 200 species of them, the most potent of which belong to the genus psilocybe. Psilocybin, which is the active compound of the mushrooms, is a prodrug which means that it's found in mushroom in the non-active form. And it becomes converted into the active compound psilocin in the intestinal mucosa. So that basically means that when you eat the chemical, it like activates inside you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it happens in the intestinal mucosa by a dephosphorylation reaction mediated by alkaline phosphatase enzymes. I know so, what those are, sure. So a phosphate is taken away from the psilocybin, and that results in a psilocin, which oh. is the active compound. Both psilocybin and psilocin are related to the amino acid tryptophan, which is incidentally the amino acid that makes you sleepy and that is found in abundance in Turkey. And this is why you get super sleepy after a turkey dinner. This is a, a, a very uh, common fact that they tell you in biology class in high school for some reason. They mm. tell you that every year. It's uh, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And, and tryptophan, tryptophan is found in turkey. Turkey dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Make you sleepy. Do they tell you that here? Too? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, so both psilocybin and psilocin are related to the amino acids tryptophan, and they're both structurally similar to serotonin. And that's really important because the actual effects of the drug come from the, the binding of this molecule to serotonin receptors, including serotonin receptor 5-HT2A, which is actually thought to be responsible for the resulting hallucinations. When it comes to psilocybin's effect on depression, which is um, really what I want to talk about today, um, and that I'll talk about later. We're not quite sure how it works. We just kind of know that psilocybin is linked to an improvement in the symptoms of depression, but we don't mm. really know how it works. But some research suggests that its therapeutic effects in depression may reflect the deactivation of the medial prefrontal cortex that is usually hyperactive in depressed patients. Mm. Um, so do you remember when we talked about LSD in, uh, in our previous narcotics in medicine episode? Yes. And we talked about how LSD binds to both serotonin and dopamine receptors. Mm -hmm. So unlike LSD, mushrooms doesn't bind on dopamine receptors. And it also only affects the noradrenergic system at very high doses. And the noradrenergic system is composed of the receptors that bind adrenaline. Mm. And this is very interesting because it kind of... Um, then when you look at the effects of mushrooms and then you look at what it binds to, it kind of makes sense. So the trip that you get on mushrooms mellow is usually very, like relaxing. According to, the, to what we've read online. Yeah, according to my research. So uh, yeah, the headspace of psilocybin mushrooms is described as very relaxing and profound in style. Whereas the effects of LSD or, um, you know, other stimulating psychedelics has a very intense and active, like, effect mm. on the body. Mm -hmm. It's also said that mushrooms are less clear-headed than other commonly used tryptamines, such as DMT and ayahuasca. Um, so I read this on my uh, drug research site. <laughs> I'm not super sure what that means. Like, I I'm guessing that it means that you are... A bit more sober on DMT and ayahuasca compared to mushrooms but honestly that seems a little bit like yeah. hard to believe because DMT and ayahuasca will send you to God and back mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know but yeah. that's what some people say I feel like a lot of because a lot of the research that has been done 
regarding like how it feels to take these things are done by people who have taken all of them. Mm-hmm. I think they're called like psychonauts. I think they call themselves that. Mm-hmm, call themselves mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Very fun name. Yeah. Um, but it also it makes it really difficult for people who haven't taken any of the substances to like really understand what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Because uh, I saw a documentary about ayahuasca, and if that's more clear-headed than mushrooms, girl, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, I mean, ayahuasca is supposed to be like a life-changing experience, yeah. right? I guess maybe like in high doses, maybe mushrooms. Maybe yeah, are maybe still, really, maybe yeah. it's dose-dependent for sure. Maybe. All right. Um, okay, so that's a very short introduction to mushroom, like to how it works and like its mechanism and stuff. I figured it would be interesting to talk about its effects mm-hmm. because mushrooms can be very interesting in the way that they affect you physically, cognitively, emotionally. Um, so I just wanted to talk a bit about what could happen if one, <laughs> if one were to take mushrooms. Uh-huh. Like, what can one expect? Uh, once again, we do not condone the way. <laughs> <laughs> we don't condone the use or ingestion of these mushrooms. This is for it's illegal educa- in many countries. Educational purposes only. Yes. So mushrooms can have a wide range of effects, including physical, visual, cognitive, auditory, and transpersonal. Transpersonal. <laughs> they have transitioned they... to being a person. We're <laughs> <laughs> saying mushrooms make you trans. An example of a physical effect is sedation, as well as a perception of body heaviness, which is apparently very prominent with a particular wood-lover species of mushrooms named psilocybe azurescens. Um, this is also very interesting how different species of mushrooms have different effects. Oh yeah, this is something that I that I uh, saw during the history of it. That like yeah. because there are two hundred different species of it, like there is an active substance, but they're all kind of different, and they yeah, all yeah. contain like, you like know, a, a lot of mushrooms yeah. contain toxins that yeah. also affect. Yeah. So everything has just like a, a little a little bit different. <laughs> Every trip is different. Every trip is different. I... Every mushroom is different too, because like the doses within a specific mushroom cap is also different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's. It, it's wild. This reminds me a bit of how in places where weed is legal, you know, you're always told like what kind of strain you're getting. If you're getting like strawberry, Baja, Blast, Mountain Dew thing, yeah. or you're getting um, McDonald's, uh, pineapple and mango slurpee, <laughs> whatever. Whereas for us, like, because we, weed is not legal here, we would just yeah. be getting weed. We, I feel you like get with, weed. You get weed. You get weed. I feel like with mushrooms is the same. For everybody, like, so, like, what mushroom? What mushrooms do you get when it's you buy mushrooms? Magic mushrooms. It's mushroom, you like, get magic you, mushrooms. And mean? then you go to the uh, like the Netherlands or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they have a wood psilocybin mexicana. Yeah, exactly. Like, what? Okay, so uh, sedation, body heaviness, tactile enhancement is common too, but it's less pronounced than with LSD or two CB. Two uh, CB is another very common psychedelic. Apparently, it's it mm-hmm. got mentioned a lot in um, when I read about mushrooms. So yeah. I've never heard of it, but apparently, it's very common in like psychedelic circles. It is common. I have heard that it is one of the one of the few psychedelics that is like actively dangerous. Really, a lot of drugs are dangerous. A lot of psychedelics are like safe-ish because they mm-hmm. just cause hallucinations. But like toxicity wise they're not that bad mm-hmm. i think i might be wrong here but i think 2cb is the is like the one that's like you're be careful with that one. is it artificial i believe it is yes okay yeah so um yeah so lsd and 2cb apparently causes pretty um pretty strong tactile enhancement and but mushrooms has it too and it can be characterized by hyper-awareness of one's own body. For example, by feeling the small hairs on the user's arms or legs being itchy or ticklish against the skin. Oh, can God. you imagine feeling like every single hair on the surface of your body just tickling you? I feel like that could get that weird. Would, yeah, that would be really annoying to me, I feel like. Yeah. A very interesting physical effect is feeling like one's body is conjoined or part of other bodies or objects. <laughs> The, like the boundary between oh. yourself and the world around you sort of dissolves mm-hmm. a little bit. And, Interesting. And, yeah, and that's both on a physical level, and later I'm going to talk about how it's also a transpersonal level. Mm. But but this is actually reported as being comfortable and peaceful. So I guess people just feel like they're melting into yeah. like you know the physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say that while all these effects can sound pretty nice, there is a variety of other physical effects. They can be less nice. 
such as nausea, watery eyes, frequent yawning, increased salivation, uh, increased urination, and muscle contractions. Mm. Yeah, I talked a little bit about the about the dangers and risks associated with magic mushrooms as well. Later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty safe drug, but it really depends on your background, mm-hmm. uh, your medical background. Like, do you, you know if you take any medication? Um, your mm-hmm. health background, you know, it's there's yeah. a lot of interacting factors. Yeah. And the most important part is, of course, set and setting, which a lot of people mm-hmm. in the psychedelic community talk about. That if you're going to do something that's psychedelic, it's important that you are uh, in a good mood, that you're that you feel psychologically prepared to do it, and also that you're in a setting that will allow for a comfortable experience. Yeah. So don't do it like on a road outside of nowhere when you're naked and afraid. Like don't do that. Naked. You're gonna have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, for harm reduction purposes here, be comfy. I love how we have, we, we never talk about having a harm reduction section in the episode. And I mean, we'll, we've only done two mm-hmm. narcotics episodes so far, but I, I can already tell that we're going to talk about harm reduction in this one. It, it has to be part of when we talk about it. Has it has to be like we, we acknowledge that people are going to consume these substances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're going to do it, be safe. Yeah. Um, all right, so we talked about physical effects. Let's talk about cognitive effects. So primarily, you know, a lot of people report emotion enhancement. And this is usually composed of strong feelings of compassion, empathy, and intense emotional significance. Another very interesting effect is language suppression, where the user is seemingly unable or unwilling to talk aloud, despite feeling capable of formulating coherent thoughts. Ooh. Very interesting, right? Like, That's I just don't want to cool. talk. Just don't want to talk. I have my or like can't talk. Just yeah, yeah, like yeah. I don't don't know how to. I can think yeah. a sentence, but I can't yeah. say it. Like the user is coherent and they're having coherent thoughts, mm-hmm. but they just don't want to verbalize them mm-hmm. or can't. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, users can also sometimes experience ego replacement, where they suddenly feel like their sense of self and their personality has been replaced with that of another person, fictional character, animal, or inanimate object. <laughs> Inanimate object or animal. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but the inanimate object is the most fun thing here. Like I have become a pumpkin. I have heard of a friend who 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 did. A uh, no, I have heard of a friend. Yeah. Like legitimately a friend. I'm not doing. Uh, Are you asking for, for a friend? <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. No, I'm telling from a friend's perspective. Literally, well, it's actually a friend of a friend mm-hmm. um, who who took a lot of magic mushrooms and became convinced it was a lobster. What what object would you be? Do you think? A pumpkin. A pumpkin? I feel like if I had one of these experiences, I would become a pumpkin. I identify strongly with pumpkins. I feel I could see myself as a plant. That's sort of where I'm coming from too, but like I, I don't feel like I would be like a like a plant in a pot, like rooted. I feel like, I think it would just be a a loose pumpkin. <laughs> On the loose. Alright. So um so that was ego replacement. And the next one that I'm going to talk about is kind of similar to ego replacement, but it's it's almost like more severe, um, and it's called ego death. I think most people have heard of ego death, and it typically is used to mean the dissolution of one's subjective ideas about one's self and the world surrounding them. But it can also refer to states of high-level unity and interconnectedness. It's also known as memory suppression, and it can result in the profound experience that despite being fully conscious, there's no longer an I that is experiencing sensory input, there just is sensory input as it is in by itself. Wild. I know. Um, And while ego death does not necessarily mean the shutdown of mental processes, it does remove the feeling of causing mental processes. So they're happening, but you're not part of them. (laughs) Or rather, like, you're not causing them to happen. They're happening without your input. I love this. Yeah. And it usually results in a feeling of processing concepts from a neutral perspective, completely untainted by past memories, experiences, contexts, and biases. And this is, I mean, it sounds really wild to us. Um, and I think that the ego death that you get from psychedelics, from a really intense mushroom experience, is quite advanced, right? But people try to do this through meditation and like mm-hmm. mindfulness techniques. Yeah. So what I'm describing here now is a very very advanced level of ego death but mm-hmm. this is what we try to do when we meditate right like you're supposed to let your thoughts yeah like disconnect from disconnect you from, from yeah exactly exactly you're supposed yeah. to release your thoughts you're supposed to observe your thoughts without judgment and i think that this is very similar to what mushrooms 
can achieve. Mm. Um, so now I'm going to talk about transpersonal effects, and that's my last section, right. uh, the last um, like little bit of the section. So transpersonal effects, which are possibly connected to ego dissolution, include the feeling of unity and interconnectedness, which is a feeling of unity between oneself and other external objects, concepts, or systems. This is where I'm going to talk about becoming one with God. <laughs> so common examples of the experience include the sense of unity between humanity and nature, the sense of unity in identification with another person or multiple people, and this is especially common if engaging in romantic or sexual activity. <laughs> um, uh-huh, I bet. And lastly, the sense of unity between the self and all known external systems. All known external systems? I will tell you. So specifically, a pretty common experience is the sudden acceptance of death as a fundamental component of life Good God. and its acceptance of a fact of reality that is not worthy of grief or emotional attachment. Another common experience is one's notion of God being felt as identical to the nature of existence and the totality of its contents. So put simply, this entails that if the universe contains all possible power, knowledge, and is self-creative and self-sustaining, then the universe could also be viewed as a God. Lastly, and this is connected to the previous one, is that one might feel such a strong sense of unity with the universe (laughs) that they they feel like they're personally responsible for the design and creation of every detail and plot element of one's personal life, the history of humanity and the entirety of the universe. This can include a feeling of personal responsibility for all of humanity's sufferings, but also for its acts of love and accomplishments. So you feel a sense, it's it's like there's different levels to it. You feel a sense of unity with nature, with other people. Uh, You you start to believe that the universe surrounding you is God, that everyone is God, and finally that you are the universe and you are God. Um, Which is, I mean, it's... It's pretty out there. It's pretty out there, but um, but it's also really cool. It is pretty cool. It's a cool experience. It's weird how like a few chemicals binding to parts of our brain can completely alter the way we view everything. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we know what magic mushrooms are and just the extraordinarily extreme experiences that that they can cause, uh, I want to do a little bit of history about them because we know them as magic mushrooms why are they called that that's interesting we're going to answer that uh why are they seen as like a staple of narcotics and psychedelics we're going to talk about that too it's an interesting history uh that deals with a lot of twists and turns not as many twists and turns as lsd which was wild but it does overlap a little bit which i think is interesting um uh, before i go into confirmed history I want to talk a little bit about theorized history, and that is the stoned ape hypothesis of human evolution, which is an idea proposed by proponents of psychedelics that human evolution has been accelerated by monkeys eating magic mushrooms, getting blasted from them, and that in itself like leading or like promoting uh, like intellectual development and brain development in, in monkeys, which I think is fun. It's probably not true, but it's a fun idea. But then we should go into uh, confirmed history. How long do you think humans have been using psychedelic mushrooms? Because it's inter- it's not as obvious as you might think. I think since the dawn of time. <laughs> You'd think so. But actually, the earliest signs we have of humans consuming um, psychedelic mushrooms is from 6,000 before Common Era BCE, which is, is more recent than you'd think. Because hum- humans have been around for much longer. It's important to mention that there are many different mushrooms that cause the psychedelic effects. And the first mushroom that we know for sure was used for this is a mushroom called Psilocybe hispanica, which is in Spain. <laughs> hispanica. In 2011, pictograms were discovered that showed the use of mushrooms that happened to grow in the area to this day, and scientists have deduced that it was used in religious ceremonies. In Europe, these mushrooms have been used in various religious or spiritual settings, Although, as historians, we do have a tendency to over-prescribe spirituality to something that they themselves would maybe have described differently. Uh, Like, today we call them magic mushrooms, but maybe historians 6,000 years into the future will think that because we call them that, maybe we thought that they were actual Actual magic. magic. Mm. Um, So we we don't really know. 
100%. And I want to mention that. Mushrooms were frequently used as a form of mind-altering substance, much like wine, in early European civilization. Roman nobles during the Roman Empire would sometimes consume various mushrooms in order to have spiritual fun, but also to just have decadent fun, as they did. I never really, like, drawn a connection between mushrooms and decadence, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, in my mind, that's something that you, like, you you take mushrooms, you sit down and you take a look at yourself. (laughs) You know, you meet your inner child, you, like, see yourself as a bad person, (laughs) you you draw lessons from it, and then you get, you know, you Mm -hmm. you do better in the future. No, they would most commonly be used in, in, like, Roman noble society as a party drug. How? <laughs> Parties on mushrooms. Well, the cult of Dionysus would take mushrooms in large groups to cause mania, which they thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would have huge decadent parties uh, while everyone was high on mushrooms. Maybe in a party setting, it could be used almost like Molly, you know, just for the sense of unity. Mm-hmm. Molly um, is the drug MDMA. Yes. <laughs> the active component in ecstasy today. Yeah. You know, because it cause because it makes you feel so, uh, so unified and connected mm-hmm. to other people. I feel like it would be fun to take with other people and like maybe mm-hmm. oh, we have a little a little group sex. You know, like <laughs> I mean, if if it was something that Romans nobles would do, would it do. would have orgies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I can Im- imagine the power of orgies while having mushrooms. Mm-hmm. The Romans were decadent, y'all. The they, Romans knew how knew... to have a good time. <laughs> they knew Romans how to tell party. You that, yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> very, very, anyway, uh, there's there's a theory that's not confirmed, so I didn't include it in, in, my, in my notes. But there's a theory that one Roman emperor, I think Emperor Claudius, got so high on mushrooms that he declared himself to be a god. But I'm not super sure if this is confirmed or not. It's a bit of a... Some sources say that he did, but some sources don't. So it's a bit... We don't know. Widespread use of mushrooms, though, wasn't super common. Um, often because many mushrooms used for this purpose could also be poisonous and because otherwise uh, they could be they could be dangerous and of course having a good time a good trip was never a guarantee so in many communities unless they were really skilled about which mushrooms were good or bad or like how to manage it most communities would, would just avoid them and saw them as like a type of poison mm-hmm. especially remember because in most of history being alive wasn't great <laughs> If you're a peasant, like in the Middle Ages, you're not having a great time. Your set and setting is going to be awful, because you're going to be cold. You're what? Like you're not gonna. It's like, not what are comfy. You gonna do? It's, it's not, not comfy. Com- yeah, it's not. It's not like a good state to take mushrooms in. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're cold. You've seen war. You saw like your <laughs> starvation. Brothers you, die. Have, you have no food. You have no food. You have ten children. <laughs> They're starving. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's um, angry. Uh, however, time goes on. Eventually, we run into the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church doesn't love the use of mind-altering substances generally, um, but sometimes villages and wise women would still have mushrooms for fun or for medicine or for spiritual experiences. I've noticed a pattern in our <laughs> episodes. Um, so whatever we're talking about, mm-hmm. we either have. The Nazis or the Catholic Church yes. getting in the way. Getting in the way. They can't let us have fun. They, yeah, they can't let anything just be fun and be a thing. They have to either prohibit everything or they have to use it to get like more powerful mm-hmm. as Nazis. Exactly. But mushrooms have also been used for war. Vikings, for example, would sometimes... It, and this is a bit controversial history, but from what I can find, it seems to have been true. Uh, they would consume the panther cap. Amanita pantherina, which isn't a magic mushroom per se, because the active substance there isn't uh, psilocybin, but rather muskimole, muskimole. But it has similar effects. It causes euphoria. It causes um, uh, like psychedelic experiences, uh, euphoria and synesthesia and things like that. Uh, and they would sometimes be used by Viking raiders to like build up courage and to help raiders convince themselves that if they fought hard enough, then they would die with honor and go to Valhalla. And it would also give them inflated confidence mm. in the sense of like, we are, we're definitely going to win this battle, which tends to make warriors fight harder, which increases your chances of winning. So this is very interesting to me because wouldn't they feel unity with the opposing army? I think maybe because there's a different active substance, maybe it has slightly different effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they wouldn't take two big doses. I feel like when you take enough of a dose to feel like unity with the universe and things like that, 
you're probably hot too high to like fight actively yeah, yeah i think they would take like a smaller dose to like inflate confidence and like give them a little bit of a trip but that would probably be it mm. especially since these uh the panther cap is, is also poisonous so they can't take too much of it true um and you know this also makes sense because it's one thing to believe these things like going to valhalla when it's your religion that you're raised in it's another thing to be high as a kite when you do it like odin is telling me directly <laughs> that this battle is going to go in my favor and i'll be fine no matter what like i'm i'm good <laughs> But it's not just in Europe where these mushrooms were used. In Central and South America, there have been signs of magic mushrooms being used as far back as 2000 years ago. And it's actually Central American magic mushrooms that are more typically seen as like the magic mushroom. The magic mushroom that most people associate being the, the one that mm -hmm. works. So most mushrooms that like one would purchase <laughs> uh -huh. um, would come from South America. Originally, yeah. Like they're native to to yeah, okay. the jungles of mm. Central and South mm. America. And then, of exactly. course, they could be grown anywhere, but yeah. they come from South America. Exactly. Mm. Like, and that, that one, I think, is the one that's like... It has the most pleasant effects and like the least drawbacks, like less toxicity than mm. other things. Because uh, many of the, those 200 species of mushroom, a, you know, a lot of them are just straight up poisonous, as, as well as psychedelic. <laughs> and you don't, you don't want to die or have like stomach problems when you get high. So, I don't know if you mentioned this. Um, since we're talking about the origin of magic mushrooms uh -huh. i don't know if you if you mentioned this later but um fun fact we have them here <laughs> they we grow do. no they I'm, grow in sweden they do they grow on um on fields mm -hmm. where cows graze that's a myth they grow anywhere really they grow anywhere i looked okay. this up for this for this thing really, they grow really. here. and that is a different species than the one in central america yeah, yeah. but it's one that also works really well I have been told that they do work well. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Like, and they, they do grow in, in cow fields, but they grow anywhere. So they, maybe they, you just can't just see in them. The you just don't see them, um, you know, because you, you would have to, like, dig through muck and, like, old leaves and stuff. Like, yeah, if you yeah, were yeah. to look for them in the forest. Yeah, and on and fields, fields are they're like, a lot easier, yeah. too. That's very interesting. I, I didn't know. I thought that they really just loved mm -hmm. the cow poop. <laughs> yeah, the cow poop thing is, is a myth. Mm -hmm. uh, that I that I looked up, but it's a commonly held myth, so I can see why. Why? Yeah. Because I also believed it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Very cool. <laughs> very cool. In Central America, though, before the Colombian exchange, before Europeans came there and ruined everything, it was known to the Aztecs as Teotlnacatl, which I cannot pronounce. I butchered that because I do not speak Nahatl, but it translates to God Mushroom or Mushroom of the Gods. Archaeologists have also found uh, many so-called mushroom stones that are depictions of psychedelic mushrooms, specifically Psilocybe Mexicana, and that's the one of the more popular ones, the, the, the one that's like your go-to. Uh, and these mushroom stones look like tiny guys with mushroom caps for hats. <laughs> like, I, I love that people got high on these things for spiritual reasons, and someone thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a little guy with a hat. <laughs> Gonna make a little statue in the honor of these little mushrooms. These Thank mushrooms for, are so good. Thanks I, for healing my trauma, man. <laughs> I'm gonna make you into a little, into a little rock. Yeah, that's cool. It's very funny. I think I've seen those little, like a picture of those little statues. Mm -hmm. uh, these uh, mushrooms were commonly used, uh, and they were so commonly used that they were served during the coronation of the Aztec king Moctezuma II was one of the like legendary Aztec kings, and where they were also called genius mushrooms. Time goes on. People use them intermittently. Uh, during the colonization of the Americas, the, the Catholic Church become prominent and the use fades out a little bit because you can't use them for spiritual reasons because God is supposed to be the only spiritual reason you have. Uh, but the first mention of hallucinogenic mushrooms in European medical literature, though, was in the London Medical and Physical Journal in 1799. And this story is one of the best stories I've read like in my life. And I'm going to read it to you. I'm so excited. We may feel bad for the people involved a little bit, because like it's, it, it, it is interesting. Anyway. <laughs> a man served mushrooms he had picked for breakfast in London's Green Park to his family. Uh, the journal states, and I'll modernize the language here as, as well. The patient gathered early in the morning of the 3rd of October in Green Park, where he picked some small mushrooms which he cooked in a small saucepan and which he fed to himself and his four children, as they had done so many times before, at around 8 a.m. Afterwards, they took their usual breakfast tea, which was finished at around 9, 
At which point one of the children, who had eaten the most mushrooms, uh, was attacked with fits of immoderate laughter, nor could the threats of his father or mother restrain him. The pupils of his eyes were, at times, dilated to nearly the circumference of the cornea. Which means this kid is high as hell. Oh my god. After a short while, the father was also affected by the mushrooms, describing vertigo and how the entire world began to lose all color and turn gray and black. Um, and that is the first mention in Western medical literature about magic mushrooms. He eventually recovered. The, the entire family recovered. Uh, a doctor uh, reached the scene like four hours into this trip and basically just said that like, we, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but they all recovered and they'll be fine. I wonder what the effects of mushrooms are on children. <laughs> I mean, the, the first kid seems, seems to have had a fun time. Do you think, yeah, I wonder the if there's was eight, any... eight years old. Yeah. I wonder if there's any long-term effects on like brain development or anything like that. Maybe. It would be interesting to, to study that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a very intense experience for, for a kid. Yeah. But, I mean, the kid laughed, so I'm going to hope that the kid had a good experience <laughs> yeah. for uh, like over 200 years ago. Mushrooms doesn't cement itself into our cultural consciousness, though, as a, like a thing to do until fairly recently. Some people, as I mentioned, would still do them for fun. Like they would, uh, they would know what, which mushrooms would cause experiences, and they would pick them like with their friends. But it wasn't like a thing in society to 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 do until like less than a hundred years ago. Because we need to jump ahead a little bit to 1957. R. Gordon Wasson, a successful banker and big fan of magic mushrooms, traveled throughout Mexico to learn more about magic mushrooms. In the province of Oaxaca, he found himself in a Mazatec ceremony conducted by a shaman featuring magic mushrooms. He claims to not have taken any, but we all know that he probably did because he wrote about his experience in Life magazine, a very popular newspaper in the US at the time, calling his article Seeking the Magic Mushroom. And that is where we have the name, because the piece is credited with naming magic mushrooms and suddenly public awareness of them skyrockets. It, it stops being like a niche thing and suddenly it's in the cultural consciousness. American scientists also noticed the article and they want to study it so bad. So they enlist the help of Chad scientist Albert Hoffman, who you may remember as the guy who discovered LSD, who we mentioned a few episodes ago. He's the guy who tests these mushrooms, he distills them, he experiments on them, and he is the one who figures out that the active ingredient in the mushroom is psilocybin. From here, psychedelic activists, many of whom already like LSD and promote its use, again, you should listen to our LSD episode, they see mushrooms as yet another avenue for self-discovery. From here, many academics begin to promote the use of mushrooms, spreading from there, but mushrooms were also made illegal in the 1960s, along with LSD and many other mind-altering substances, with a single Convention of Narcotics Drugs Act in 1961 in the UN, after which most countries banned it in varying degrees. Uh, because UN doesn't allow anyone to have fun. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. So that is a history about magic mushrooms uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of, of human history. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about magic mushrooms today as well. Today, a lot of people use mushrooms as part of like a variety of psychedelic drugs. It's not extremely popular compared to things like LSD for a few reasons. It's harder to measure dosages. It's not as non-perishable. And apparently they taste and smell really strongly and bad. So it's not, not great. Hmm. You don't want to have that. Uh, I gather from watching YouTube descriptions uh, of the experience that dealers don't want to deal with them because they're like dog sniffers find them so easily because mm. what they smell like uh, and they like rub off the smell and other things mm. so it's just a mess and mm -hmm. other psychedelics are like easier to to handle however they do have fun street names you mentioned a few of them and i want to i want to just want to do a list because uh, some of them are obvious like shrooms boomers boomers mm -hmm. zoomers mushies simple simon little smoke Sacred mushrooms, purple passion, mushroom soup, and cubes. However, the benefit of magic mushrooms is that you can go find them yourself in the forest. And because of that, it's impossible to not have them in circulation. 
because we can't eradicate them from, from nature. Many people also just grow them at home since they're just mushrooms, they grow fairly easily. So, you know, they're gonna keep being around. But I want to quickly mention some dangers of magic mushrooms though, because it is a powerful substance and it's important to mention some dangers. Uh, some people who take psilocybin may experience persistent, distressing alterations to the way that they see the world. Uh, they can take the form of visual flashbacks, which is which is very nice. Physicians now diagnose this condition as hallucinogen persisting perception disorder, which is a thing that you can get mm. where the world just is different now. Um, can I tell a quick story about that? Yeah. So I used to know somebody who had something similar. So they uh, did a little bit of. Uh, they had, you know, they had some fun in high school. They did a fair number of psychedelic drugs, and then when they turned twenty or something, um, they started developing this syndrome. And the way that it manifested for them is that they could, they were always seeing bright lights and shapes floating, and mm. so they hated being in an empty white room. Mm. So their room was always dark, and they always had um, like bright string lights and just just so they could feel like the room looks like it's supposed to yeah <laughs> and that the things that they were seeing were actually created by the lights and mm. not then were not just in their head yeah so it was quite disturbing for them and i don't mm. really think there is any way to treat it no um so it's just something that you have to live with so it's uh you know it's a good idea to not just because they just because their toxicity is low and they're um like like relatively safe they're relatively safe there is not a very high risk for abuse you should still be careful about that yeah you should be they're they're powerful substances yeah. and they're they're they they hit hard they hit hard uh some individuals who use psilocybin may experience fear agitation confusion delirium psychosis and syndromes that may resemble schizophrenia which may require a trip to the emergency room in most cases a doctor will treat these effects with medications such as benzodiazepines and symptoms will often resolve within six to eight hours. Finally, though the risk is small, some psilocybin users risk accidental poisoning from eating a poisonous mushroom by mistake. Uh, symptoms of mushroom poisoning may include muscle spasm, confusion, and delirium. And if you've had a poisonous mushroom, go to the emergency room. <laughs> I guess it's also a bit difficult to, to know whether that's a part of the trip or if it's, if you've been poisoned. Can you yeah. repeat those symptoms? Like delirium? Uh, delirium, muscle spasms, and confusion. So muscle but, spasms, uh, muscle contractions is a side mm -hmm. effect. Yeah. Delirium, that's basically it's like the part whole of it. <laughs> and then confusion, well, that's kind of part of it. Part of it. But I, the rule of thumb that I've seen is is that if you're having, if your stomach is acting weird, mm. something's wrong. You're yeah. not supposed to be like, if you're having symptoms similar to like food poisoning. Yeah. You're you're messed up. If you're feeling uh, lame in your body. On a, but reality hasn't warped too much you're poisoned <laughs> yeah I mean I, I see what you mean but also like nausea is another risk or another yeah. side effect of taking mushrooms Yeah, and also like body heaviness like a feeling of mm -hmm. heaviness and also keep in mind that maybe you do take like regular magic mushrooms mm -hmm. but you also take one that's poisonous one that's so you're gonna messy, have a trip yeah. and also and feel also be poisoned. sick so I mean so be what, careful. Double exactly. check your mushrooms. Exactly. Like what I'm trying to say is it's not always going to be cut and dry. And that's why you just have to be super careful with yeah. where you get them and like, you know, quality control and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. If you decide to, to do it. Yeah. Most accidental mushroom ingestion results in minor gastrointestinal illness. So if you're just, if you have a, a bowel movement, you may have eaten the wrong mushroom. But you're, you're probably going to be fine. But if you're having it, you should still contact the doctor because you don't know. Yeah. Psilocybin is not chemically addictive and no physical symptoms occur after stopping use. Uh, but it is possible to develop psychological dependence where you become used to, to the experience and you want to escape the way you currently perceive the world. Uh, so, you know, be careful about that as well. And much like LSD, most harm uh, that comes to people comes from people doing things under the influence that puts them in danger. So, you know, obviously don't drive, don't do anything dangerous. Just stay at home, watch a movie or play some music with some cool friends. Don't go wild. Yeah, and I mean, definitely be aware of your psychological state when you do yeah. mushrooms. Um, and be aware that the things that you b believe and feel and see under the influence are not real. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it is I a think, temporary experience. Exactly. I think that's the most important thing, really. Don't do, do don't do, make any like big lifetime commitments. Exactly. Right don't now. make any big decisions. Yeah. One when you are on on yeah. drugs. You can you can reach conclusions, but make make any decisions when you're sober. Yeah. So now what I want to talk about is the uh, use of psychedelic mushrooms as a therapeutic drug. So psilocybin was initially synthesized in a laboratory by Albert Hoffman, while, mm-hmm. which you already mentioned, while working at Sandoz Laboratories. And it was marketed later under the commercial name Indocybin for basic psychopharmacology and clinical research. However, uh, and you've said this already, but I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna go for it super quick. Mm-hmm. The drug was withdrawn in the early 1970s and was classified as a Schedule One drug due to its use outside of medical research yeah. um, and its association with emerging counterculture. Yeah, dumb damn hippies was using it. Yeah. <laughs> Despite its withdrawal and criminalization, its potential therapeutic value led many scientists to study the effects and mechanisms of action of the drug. And this is because there was preliminary evidence that psilocybin may be useful in the treatment of anxiety, uh, anxiety and life-threatening disease, depression, obsessive-compulsive disorder, alcoholism, and nicotine addiction, as well as cluster headaches. Um, <laughs> I like the headaches are just I in know. there. It's just, well, anxiety, it, a lot of psychological, like, uh, severe things, addiction, uh, and also headaches. <laughs> but, okay, but cluster headaches are more than just headaches. Those are, yeah. like, worse than migraines. Yeah, I, um, I have a family friend who, who yeah. deals with that, and it's yeah. not great. Yeah, But, um, you know, despite its potential therapeutic value, psilocybin is illegal in most countries, which adds complexity and also a lot of additional costs to clinical trials involving its administration to human subjects. Mm. And while there have been a few studies on the therapeutic effects of psilocybin, most of them have been quite small. So for example, in one study by Grob and Chopra in 2011, they had 12 patients. <laughs> Those were the participants. Yeah. So 12 patients with terminal stage cancer and a diagnosis of acute stress disorder and generalized anxiety or anxiety due to cancer were given 0.2 milligrams of psilocybin per kilogram of body weight. The results indicated overall improved anxiety scores, improvement in outlook, and lowered pain perception. However, as you can tell, the studies had very few participants and used a very low dose of psilocybin, which leads to having um, quite a lot of variation in the data and low significance. So the value that they reported for anxious ego resolution had a p-value of 0.049, which is like it's just on the cusp. Just on the cusp of it being significant. Yeah. So, you know, of course, that's not ideal. I do like how I, I eventually I'm going to have to do a rant about like p-value yeah. stuff. Because the p-value thing is just so ar- it's arbitrary. Yeah, it's, arbitrary. it's an arbitrary line of like when something matters or doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, um, you know, it, there is room for nuance. So yeah. if, it, even in this paper, they actually have a few results that um, have a p-value of like 0.07. So, you know, they say it's not significant. However, the trend yeah. points at this. Yeah. They, the there, trend points that there was an improvement here, right? in this thing. Yeah. So, like, if they were to repeat the study, they would take more participants and maybe, like, um, mm. do it again. And maybe, like, the, the p-value would be better if they had more participants. But you do have a point. <laughs> I mean, there, I just remember from me taking a stat course. Uh, and the one thing my professor kept talking about, which is, like, p-value is something that's, like, it is the academic standard. Uh, but it is also something that like a lot of people like they 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 mess with their algorithms a little bit and like they mess how they view their own data not data manipulation necessarily but just like how they how they calculate their p value to just like get it as high as possible mm-hmm. because a lot of people just put a lot of value on that on that number yeah unfortunately it shouldn't be like that so like, yeah. I'm, I'm agreeing that there should be nuance it should be more yeah you know stuff anyway I'm not gonna rant about scientific efficacy. <laughs> Um, all right, so that's the first study. And then the second study, which was conducted by Moreno and others in 2006, the effects of psilocybin on patients with obsessive compulsive disorder were studied. And this study had nine participants, and the results indicated a decrease in OCD symptoms. However, the decrease was not dose dependent, and also one of the participants experienced transient hypertension. Um, and again, you know, like with, with nine participants, you can't really say much about yeah. like the effects. 
Um, so what I'm trying to say here is that there has been interest in the use of psilocybin as a treatment for quite a wide range of neurological conditions, but it's really difficult <laughs> to run studies using narcotics. And so until now, we haven't really had any large clinical studies, at least until now. <laughs> um, and so I have a study that I really want to talk about today. And this study is the largest clinical study uh, to date. And the results of the study were announced at the beginning of November. Fresh off the presses. Fresh off the press. Hot, yeah. newly baked out of the oven science for you. <laughs> yeah. So the study was conducted by Compass Pathways, which is a mental health care company based in London that aims to help those suffering from mental health challenges and who are not helped by current treatments. So their study on psilocybin was aimed at people suffering from treatment-resistant depression, TRD for short, which is defined as depression that isn't helped after two or more adequate antidepressant treatments. Um, yeah, we, we also mentioned this a bit in the first episode we ever did, the one about mental health, is that antidepressants um, don't work for, for, for most everyone, people. Yeah. They work for 30% of people. And so it's quite necessary that other therapeutics are developed for people for whom antidepressants don't do anything. And this, uh, this has a little bit of potential for that. So the study was a phase 2b clinical study, specifically a dose-finding study, which means that they assessed the safety and efficacy of free doses of COMP360, which is a synthetic psilocybin they developed in-house. And that's also interesting. They don't just get the mushrooms, like they, they made it artificially. <laughs> they made it themselves. Yeah. In-house. In-house. If you can't buy mushrooms, store-bought is fine. If you can't buy mushrooms, store If you can't cooked, make your own, yeah, store- Cooked is fine. <laughs> Home-cooked is fine. Home-cooked is fine. They enrolled a total of 233 patients and randomly assigned them into three groups for a placebo dose of 1 mg psilocybin, an intermediate dose of 10 mg, and a high dose of 25 mg. Imagine going into this study and being like, I might get a little bit of a tinkle. I might be sent to the moon. <laughs> so the psilocybin was given to the participants in conjunction with psychological support from trained therapists, which I think is... It's nice. It's nice that they did that. They didn't yeah. just like basically push them off a hill uh, into... Go home. Uh, yeah. Find just, your way home on the bus. Here's 25 milligrams of a very powerful hallucinogenic drug. Go bus stop is right there. Oh my god. Um, Call us in two weeks. So they gave them the psilocybin and then they used the Montgomery Ospite Depression Rating Scale to assess the changes in their perceived depression level. So effectively the study aimed to compare the effects of the 10 milligram dose and the 25 milligram dose. And the results were that the 25 milligram group showed a decrease of 6.6 points on the MADR scale at week 3, which was statistically significant, while the 10 milligram group did not show statistical significance. 24% of the participants in the 25 milligram group also showed remission at week 12, um, which is fine, but most participants noticed the effects waning after the three month. Uh, mark. So only 24% of the participants actually felt like their depression symptoms were still ameliorated after three months. Mm. The artificial psilocybin was pretty well tolerated. More than 90% of the adverse uh, of the treatment emergent adverse effects being mild or moderate, and the most common of which uh, being headache, fatigue, and nausea. There were, however, 12 patients who reported serious adverse effects specifically suicidal behavior, <laughs> intentional self-injury, and suicidal ideation. Um, these adverse effects also occurred more frequently in the 25 milligram group than in the lower dose groups. So let's uh, draw our conclusions from, this, um, from the study. So overall, the results are promising, and Compass Pathways is aiming to launch a larger phase-free clinical study in 2022. However, as you can tell from the results, that the positive effects of the drug did not last past 12 weeks mm -hmm. for most people and also the side effects are quite a lot more serious than with traditional antidepressants mm. so while the results suggest that psilocybin might be a viable option for those who don't respond to antidepressants the company will have to also factor in the durability of remission mm -hmm. um, the adverse effects of the drug and uh, last but not least strict narcotics laws <laughs> and it's uh i mean you know i, I i'm I think that this shows potential and I'm really excited to see what they do later, but I think it would be 
it would be unfair if we didn't mention the uh, the, the criticism that yeah. the study has received. And also, I think that we have to be realistic about what um, this kind of therapy can actually achieve. Yeah. You know, and hopefully there are things that they can do to reduce the adverse effects and maybe also increase the durability of the positive effects. Maybe mm. coupling it with some other drug or, yeah. um, you know, since they make this in-house, maybe they can uh, modify it and maybe. modify the compound. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see like if they if they reach like some some conclusion about like what they could do for a long term potential yeah, pharmaceutical yeah. uh could be very interesting to yeah see. it's good and, to, at least the science is being done because like if exactly. it doesn't work we we need the science to at least show that it doesn't work. yeah we know and then we move on yeah what i think is interesting is if they do decide to maybe modify the compound um then they're probably going to be able to to evade some of the drug laws because then it's not going to be a narcotic anymore. Yeah, that would depend on the country. In the United States. Yeah, but the United States has very like wide-reaching narcotics laws. It would depend on what they modified into and if it still would have effects. It would depend. Um, so, a fun fact. <laughs> Maybe it's not super fun, super fun, but apparently their stock price dropped thirty percent the week that the study was uh, was released. What? Um, because of the, the reason, criticism. Yeah, because of the reasons that I I said, and, mm. and it must it must have really sucked. Like they were so excited to re- to release the results, yeah. but but shareholders were shareholders just like, just like, damn it, we can't make this into a drug now. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's not showing potential now. It's not going to be released to the public next year. I love the stock market because it yeah. really is just complete bullshit. Because like this, because you know the study shows promise, has some criticism, but like scientifically, it's pretty like productive. Like we we learned a lot from the study, right? Well, we did, but is it going to make money? <laughs> but that's, what, you, that's what I mean. Can like, you buy <laughs> a helicopter using uh, scientific knowledge? No, but like it's it's you know what I mean. You know what yeah. I mean, right? I know like I know what you mean. It's better how we value how we value knowledge because we don't. We value profit. So you mentioned uh, that a lot of the things that like future studies depend on is you know like legal status, like drug laws. So I want to talk a little bit about that because it is a narcotic and it is illegal. Uh, so I want to talk about the the modern day status. Of magic mushrooms. It is complicated because they do grow outside, but in most areas of the world they are classed as a narcotic, uh, which means that they are completely illegal. It is illegal to consume, possess, or sell, which means that in many countries it is illegal to pick these mushrooms. You are allowed to see them, you're allowed to go past them, you're allowed to notice them, but you're not allowed to pick them up. You have to leave them on the forest floor. <laughs> in some countries you are allowed to buy growing kits, like it's like a kits you can grow your own mushrooms at home because technically the growing kits don't contain psilocybin itself so that's okay but in some countries it is still illegal because you would you would grow it so some countries have figured out well you can't buy the growing kit come on punishment for breaking these narcotics laws depend very much on where you are and what you do with the mushrooms uh, ranging from potentially the death penalty in some countries that have complete zero tolerance laws against narcotics, like 100%. Like where? Um, I know that... Like... I'm not sure this is exactly for magic mushrooms, but I know that like the Philippines have very mm-hmm. harsh, harsh things there. But that's also specific, that's more directed towards like dealers. You can't execute the forest for dealing magic mushrooms. Doesn't the Philippines have the death penalty also for just holding, like carrying? They might. You don't quote me on that internet, but like the the, the Philippines is very harsh on on drug use. Like it was one of the worst in the world. Yeah. President Duarte is like, like has killed many people. Uh, and you could argue, you know, he, he makes the argument that people who use drugs and sell drugs like aren't worthy to be alive. I would argue that everyone has a right to life. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, but it does depend, uh, because in some countries you can also just get a, a mild slap on the wrist, even though it is completely banned and a Schedule 1 drug. Uh, researching this episode, I found an article in Sweden about a 25-year-old man who, while taking a walk, found a trove of magic mushrooms, uh, picked five bags of them, ate 250 mushrooms, which is a lot, because you can eat like one and have a good trip. He ate 250 of them and carried several ba- more bags home. Uh, he played the didgeridoo at 3am, shoved magic mushrooms into the post box of his student dorm neighbors, yelling at the top of his lungs, MUSHROOMS FOR EVERYONE! 
uh, and was apparently having an amazing time. Uh, the cops came, because <laughs> someone <laughs> called the cops, because it was very annoying, uh, and took him in. But they described him as being very well-mannered and kind. Um, the man was jumping around, hugging the cops, and talking about his encounter with a Native American Indian chieftain he met during the trip. This man must have had an amazing fun time. He was lucky. I mean, 800 mushrooms. How much did you say he ate? He ate 250. 250. But he, okay. he, he also five whole bags of mushrooms too so he, he probably picked thousands well i understand but i'm just talking about like the dose that he took <laughs> 250 <laughs> mushrooms that's a lot of mushrooms i mean okay but like because okay i don't want to talk about numbers too much <laughs> but like that is about several kilograms 30 times more than a regular dose mm-hmm. it's quite a lot but yeah, no, he had a great time. Um, <laughs> and he was sentenced to community service uh, because he, he didn't really harm anyone. He was just being very annoying. I'm rather surprised. I mean, Sweden has pretty harsh drug laws. They do. But uh, maybe I guess that's, they're more related to like selling and distributing as opposed to just taking... Yes, this is very true. There are, like, even in, you know, like, it, it has to do with more like the laws is very harsh, but enforcement is pretty lax. Mm. Um, just because it's pretty low down on the sort of priority list for drug enforcement agencies. Yeah. So the police, like the police don't really care about magic mushrooms because they know people can just go into the forest and pick them and yeah. they're going to get high. Like no one, you're not supporting like gang violence by picking mushrooms in the forest, for example. But they do want to target like cocaine, uh, mm. opioids, mm. Uh, mm. weed to a lesser extent because those are like grown and dealt by like organized crime which yeah. is what they want to crack down on yeah mushrooms are like if you go pick mushrooms in the forest you are your own victim of, of breaking the law so i, I guess like, the court I was don't... just like listen dude you're just annoying just yeah. serve community service for a few days don't play the didgeridoo at 3 a.m <laughs> stop so... shoving mushrooms into your neighbor's post box it's so funny that he had a didgeridoo <laughs> i mean it feels the type if this is the type of person who goes into the forest and picks thousands of mushrooms and yeah. eats 250 of them, I feel like that's the t- same kind of person who has a didgeridoo. Who has a didgeridoo? In Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. Uh, academically, though, things are opening up a little bit. That more uh, like legal restrictions on academic study uh, is being uh, more and more lax. There's a study that you mentioned earlier. Uh, and more areas of the world are also like lifting drug restrictions more and more. Uh, I'm thinking more. I'm thinking primarily about like Portugal, Oregon, and the U.S. are also being a bit more lax. Yeah, I mean, mushrooms were legalized in the United States. Well, I should know this, but in some parts of the United States. Yeah, but still, like that was quite recent, and it's quite yeah. a like a big step. Yeah, I mean, uh, decriminalized. Decriminalized, not okay. legalized. Okay, there's, there's there's some slight difference there. Like you're you're not allowed to. I think you're still not allowed to like sell them, hmm. uh, but, but, but having them, them and consuming them like isn't a crime. But also, you can't set up a store to sell them. Yeah, like they're not a legal thing to sell. In short, uh, the laws are still very restrictive throughout the world. Uh, the UN still has like a universal declaration on like these things are bad. Uh, so, you know, we, there's a sort of global. There's still a huge global stigma against uh, psychedelics generally. Uh, which uh, magic mushrooms sort of suffer under. Uh, but as I mentioned, many drug enforcement agencies and police aren't really focused on this. So even though it is legal and even though it is a huge stigma around it, because they can't arrest the forest or nature for being a supplier, uh, it's not it's not a heavy priority for, for the cops. Yeah. Um, I would still say, like, don't get caught with them. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm really excited to to see more clinical studies uh, being conducted on mushrooms. I feel like it's one of those things that are very interesting to science. I think so, too. Like, there's definitely... Psychedelics generally, I think, are... Or, like, narcotics generally. Just because science hasn't, like, been allowed to study Mm -hmm. its effect Mm -hmm. until, like, fairly recently. I, I think there's... We could probably learn a lot there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there is a, a lot, lot of, of potential it, yeah. knowledge to be to be unearthed. Yeah, a lot of it probably is not going to work super well, but we need to check. We need to do the science. We need to actually do the experiments. Mm-hmm. That was our episode on magic mushrooms, which is our second episode in our narcotics and medicine series. Mm-hmm. 
Um, a lot of psychedelics. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking maybe we do ketamine next. Horse tranquilizer. <laughs> horse tranquilizer. Um, That'll be fun. Yeah, because we I could mean, do an episode on ivermectin and have a horse theme for two months. <laughs> I don't. Horse dewormer. Horse tranquilizers. We could. I mean, I don't think I could do a whole episode on ivermectin. <laughs> maybe not. But um, we could definitely sprinkle it in. Oh no, a horse-themed uh, episode. <laughs> a horse episode. Horse drugs. We also want to thank our patrons for supporting this episode to make sure that we can keep doing this podcast and also this uh, series on narcotics. And of course, you who is listening to this episode. If you're listening and like this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes or t- telling your friends about us because we don't pay to advertise this show at all. We, uh, it's, it's only word of mouth. So uh, please tell your friends. Go out into the forest and tell the mushrooms. Maybe they'll be interested in hearing about, about us. <laughs> All right, my name has been Raluca Montano. And I've been Mia Mulder. We'll see you next time. Bye.